Saturday morning, and welcome to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook, your host. Man, what a week. We've had amazing weather, cool temperatures at nice, at nights, warm days during this wonderful week of gardening weather. Uh, just an amazing, amazing time last weekend at the beach. I know it was raining when I was talking to you on Saturday morning last week. But boy, the sun cleared off, and we had an amazing time down at Drake's Island and Wells. If you ever get a chance to check out that beach, I would recommend it. Um, it. You get away from the crowds of Wells Beach, so just a little tip there. Wonderful, wonderful time, though, but what an amazing weather pattern we're in. Uh, you know, a little bit of showers, a little bit of moisture. Lawns look unbelievably lush. Things are growing. Uh, you know, plants are starting to go by now, though. Time to start pruning off some of those dead blossoms, cleaning up some of those perennials, cutting them back, you know, preparing to plant your mums. I know fall is here. I know it's tough. It's tough to really think that way because the annuals are looking great. Things are really starting to, you know, um, come back with all these cooler temperatures we took a beating in those heat that heat we had back in july and now plants are really thriving they're coming back but we've got to watch moisture we always have to watch moisture you know it's a false sense of security when we get these summer rains you know big thunderstorms quick water runs off doesn't really get down saturating your plants so be careful about that uh you know just a great time to garden though now's the time to start thinking about all your fall plans start contacting the garden centers start contacting your contractors making sure to line up work for fall so that you're not caught last minute Good contractors and good garden centers need time in order to order plants for you and also plan out their schedules and book their jobs through fall. Really important, get in their mind now. Don't wait until September or October or November. The season will be too late. Good people will be booked up. Of course, good customers, they can always fit in. But it's that time of year. Start planning for fall, and uh, you're going to really, really make a lot of headway this way on your garden. Good time to start thinking about expanding the vegetable garden for next year. Really good time to start doing soil prep, killing those weeds, prepping your area. Think about next spring also. It's that time of year. I'm going to be prepping. I know all spring, all I did was talk about how I was late on my vegetable garden. I was late. So I have made a vegetable garden this year. It's a temporary area. This coming week, okay, I'm going to get the ground prepared for next year. That's how soon I'm starting to work. I got the tractor. I got the rototiller. I got the whole thing going on. And, of course, I don't do many things small. I like big gardens. You know, unfortunately, that means a lot of maintenance. So my wife has a my trusty hoe, and she's good on the weeds. She does a really great job with that. She's done an amazing job all summer. And then I have to plant and do all that other fun stuff. But we're enjoying our garden this year, and uh, I hope you are too. So today we've got Tim Lindsay from Bartlett Tree. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Tom. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. My garden's going strong as well. Uh, it's been a good growing year. I yes, mean, it's it been tough with a lot of the rain, but more than anything, I think the conditions have actually been pretty good. Yes, they have. I, I'm, I'm sure you saw some really stressed out plants in that heat, though. Oh, sure did, yes. I mean, that must create a whole bunch of problems from, you know, mid-July when we had all that heat, right through the fall, you know, we've got to take care of many different conditions. 
as you already mentioned, it's important to get um, deep penetration of the water when you do mm-hmm. uh, irrigate your plants. Uh, you just get the uh, an inch of water at the top, and if you shut it off, then that's where the roots are going to grow. Mm-hmm. So when the temperatures do change and gets very warm like we just had, the surface roots die off first, which mm-hmm. really stresses the trees and woody shrubs. Right, right. And let's face it, the worst thing I, I as a plant person, I can't stand irrigation systems. Mm. They work wonderful for lawns. They're terrible for plants. Right. <laughs> you know, we really need to get water down that 6, 8, 10, 12, foot and a half, you know, down into that root zone. Yeah. What most people don't realize, and, and you'll probably second the emotion on that, uh, too much water will create the same result as not enough. So when you have irrigation heads that are irrigating shrub beds mm-hmm. at the same level they're irrigating the turf uh, day after day, it's not good for the plants. Absolutely. Overkill with water. Absolutely. So we've seen a whole bunch of problems show up over the season, and we talked with you earlier on in, in the year. One question that keeps coming up time and time again in the garden center is, what's going on with my blue spruce? This is a widespread problem throughout the, all of southern Maine and, and uh, I'm sure northeast, really. Mm-hmm. What is going on with all this you know, needle blights and, and uh, you know, tip blights and also just massive dropping of, of the lower limbs? Well, you got to – that's a, a meeting in of itself. Absolutely. <laughs> um, <clears throat> that last one that you mentioned is Cytospora canca. Try to spell that one. Exactly. That's one of those opportunistic funguses that enter into the twig or within the bark of the plant that's been damaged. Mm-hmm. And that typically will happen with snow plows or twisting and thrashing in windstorms, which create these little lesions. Mm-hmm. And if the fungus is there, it works its way in. Unfortunately, there's no treatment for that. Right. The best thing you can do is keep the trees healthy uh, through fertilization, watering, proper mulching, none mm-hmm. of this volcano mulching, right? and uh, in, in hopes that the sap will flow when there's a lesion to plug it up to keep the disease out. Let's talk a little bit about one thing you just mentioned, volcano mulching, because I, I think a lot of people don't understand what that is. Volcano mulching is, it's... It's terrible. Uh, it's terrible. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I think homeowners do it because they see some professionals doing this. Absolutely. And that's where you go in and you mulch. Year after year after year. Well, bark mulch does not deteriorate as quickly as wood chips. Mm -hmm. So it just sits there and builds up over time. And it creates a nice little volcano. looks like maybe Acme Landscaping planted the tree. Right. A little roadrunner humor there. (laughs) And and you get this built up around the trunk of the tree. What that does, it inhibits the exchange of gases in and out of the trunk of the tree. Mm -hmm. It's a great place for insects i.e. borers, to enter within the trunk of the tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, it creates a tremendous amount of stress and, and thus weakens the tree. Will it kill the tree over a long period of time? Right. Yes, it will. In the short term, uh, other stressful uh, conditions, i.e. drought, stress, um, lack of nutrients, mm-hmm. lawnmower mm-hmm. damage, wind, uh, weed whacker, will also hinder the tree and weaken it. So the volcano mulching... Yes, people are doing it, but it's not a great thing. Remove the mulch, get it down to where the root flare is, mm-hmm. where the root collar is. Haul it away and just replace it with new mulch. Right. And um, 
unfortunately, most people don't like to leave it. They've got to spruce things up. Right. It's one of the curses of being a homeowner. Well, we've taught everybody to keep that looking nice and, you know, make uh, their neighbors jealous that their yard looks better than. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't bark mulch every year. I tend to do it every other year, every third year, and I actually use Nutri-Mulch, which is half compost, half mulch. Mm-hmm. And good. so it does break down much quicker. It's got a lot lot more microbes in there, and it's actively working. And, and that takes a lot of my fertilization out for the most part. Uh, but, you know, basically, like we talk in the garden center, folks, mulch around your stems basically is bad no matter what you do it doesn't matter what depth you want to keep your mulch four to six inches away and then you want to be very very cautious about it washing back to the stem throughout the season you know heavy rains will move bark mulch around and and you know if it's on a slope or your plant is planted too low you create a pocket for the mulch to just constantly wash to the plant or the tree. So always be cautious. Plant your plants a little bit high, you know, and kind of crown it, but also make sure you have enough soil around there so that you can get a good water moat so that you can keep that root system nice and moist. So, you know, with blue spruce, we've seen, you know, oh, you've got one more. Oh, oh, yeah. I just scratched the tip of the iceberg on the question here. You also have spider mite issues, which that will exhibit itself uh, with the lack of chlorophyll within the needles. They do also get needle cast, which mm-hmm. creates that, that banding across the, the, the needle itself, which um, usually it's light green to a yellow color. Mm-hmm. Um, that is preventable by applying fungicides next year in the springtime when the needles first elongate. Now, the big one that's starting to rear its ugly head is sudden spruce needle drop. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's hitting this time of year. All this past year's growth just browns right up, curls over, and dies. Does it start out looking a little purple? No, that's a different one. Okay. That's a different one. Okay. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, Let me go back to this one. I had a client down in Kennebunkport that this this hit, and he had a beautiful hedge. And I kind of freaked out along with him. <laughs> and it was something fairly new, and they didn't know a whole lot about it. Uh, that next fall, I went in, and I pruned out all the dead branches, mm-hmm. the tip, excuse me, and the tree looks fine today. Mm-hmm. It was just one of those flash in the pan, clobbered the tree, and the next year, provided you get the, the uh, dead material out, it, yeah. it cleared up. Okay. Now, what you're referring to is the... Um, Cooley spruce gall. Ah, okay. They really look kind of cool. Absolutely. It hits the tip of the branch, once again, the new growth, and it reminds me of a purple or plum-colored thumb. Absolutely. Because it just bends right over. Yep. That's the Cooley spruce gall, and then there's the eastern spruce gall. That tends to hit further in from the tip, right at the branch mm-hmm. nodes. Mm-hmm. And once again, that's another insect issue. Yeah. So, I mean, blue spruce, there seems to be a lot of people having problems with them. I don't think it's a problem to continue to plant blue spruce. It really has to do, in most all of these things, it's really stress management's the biggest thing, correct? Absolutely it is. Um, and you manage the stress by watering, fertilizing, not over mulching, uh, not planting the trees too deep, and there's nothing wrong with a good-sized mulchering. And And, you know, what people don't understand is... The stress really, 90% of it's water. And, you know, the summer months when a lot of these insects and diseases attack, you don't see it initially. You see it the following season. So, you know, understanding that maybe once a week you're established, Bruce, you need to give some water in that hot, hot weather and make sure they don't get to that point. If you see a 
a, a good streak of hot weather coming, water before. Don't wait until it's too hot. Yeah. Water at the base of the tree, mm-hmm. not over the needles, mm-hmm. is important. Um, just backing up just a, a second, in the same way, if the human body is stressed, staying up too late, smoking, drinking, and working too hard, we catch a cold really quick. Mm-hmm. In the same manner, spruce trees, or other trees as well, when they're weakened, they're more predisposed to insects and disease issues. So a healthy tree will fight off um, these kinds of issues we've been talking about. And kind of last but not least, I've got a question here also. My pine trees, the tops always dry out of them. You know, they always die. That central leader, you know, every, I, I have customers year in and year out, spruce, pines, firs. That central leader always is dying out. What's going on there? Yeah, it's, it's a weevil mm-hmm. is, is what it is. And uh, they're a tough insect to control. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some people that claim they got it down to a science. Yeah. The real problem is when you have 40 or 50 different customers all over the place, right. it's difficult to, to catch it. Uh, one of the doctors at our lab did his thesis on this insect. And apparently the first 70-degree day is when that insect emerged from the ground, tears up the trunk of the tree as fast as they can, and deposits the egg. Okay. Now, you've got to be there before that insect is or at the same time. Okay. So, it is, once again, it's tough. Okay. Uh, typically, what we try to do, if we can't get there in time, as soon as we've seen it, see it, prune it out. Right. That way, there, it breaks the cycle. It doesn't turn into an adult and go back into the ground only to start the cycle over again. Okay. That's tough. Oh, you yeah. know, customer, it's very frustrating to customers, you know, and, and a lot of times pruning is what we go after first. Um, you know, so we should look for that first warm spell mm-hmm. in a nutshell. And then what are we doing? Just spraying the top, like, third of the tree? Well, actually, I'd just go for the tip. The yep. top uh, Foot. four or five feet, or if that. Okay. Okay. Because a lot of times we're finding, you know, obviously when trees are dug and they're brought to a nursery, that is a major stressor. And it's very tough for customers to get around that. That first year is very, very, very tough to keep that tree out of a stress situation. It's been moved, you know, hundreds of miles across the country. It goes into the ground that it's brand new to. And, you know, maybe you're watering, maybe you're not. And so we set ourselves up to this problem. And it shows up, you know, one, two, three, four years. And then after that, it seems to kind of subside for a while. Right. Okay. Okay. I think an interesting point that, that you didn't mention and it might help to people, people to better understand, the tree has lost, what, 50, 75% of its root mm. when, when it's been dug. So that is pretty stressful. But Absolutely. as a whole, the nursery has figured out how much they'll tolerate. So it's a win-win if you take care of them. Yeah, and, and when you come into the nursery, folks, it's important that when you come in periodically through the middle of the day, you want to see sprinklers running. You want to see the nursery actually out there watering consistently. And if it's a hot day, you know, sometimes we'll put signs up, you know, cautions, sprinklers may come on at any time, <laughs> you know, and, and some people are fine with that. They're like, oh, it's a great cooling down, you know. Uh, but you should see water being run on plants during the day or someone with a hose watering plants all the time. And, it, you know, I mean, you could be at that brief moment when no one's watering, but when you consistently come into a garden center, there should be people watering. There shouldn't be a lot of plants wilted. There's always going to be some, but we really strive on stress relief. It's very, very important to us. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB.
you have lots of choices when buying plants and garden supplies. But wouldn't you rather come to someone at your local garden center where you know us and we know you? Someone who knows Maine soil, Maine's climate, and knows what plants will thrive here. Someone who will make sure you find what you're looking for here or at one of our other independent garden centers. We support each other and work together to satisfy you. Wouldn't you rather come to your local garden center? We're the Independent Garden Centers of Maine at maineigc.com. Do you have planting insurance? You can with Biotone Starter Plus from Mespoma. It's the ultimate starter plant food, and you can use it for everything you plant. Just mix it in with the soil. It works like three products in one to guarantee your success, even in poor soils. The secret is a special blend of natural organic plant food, beneficial microbes, and mycorrhizal fungi. The result is that plants grow faster, roots grow deeper, and flowers and vegetables become more abundant. Maintain your plants with the Tones, a full line of organic plant foods including Holly Tone, Plant Tone, and Rose Tone. There's a tone for almost every tree, shrub, flower, or vegetable. Best of all, every Espoma product is safe for people, pets, and the environment. Look for Biotone Starter Plus at your local garden center and visit espoma.com slash videos for product info and valuable gardening tips. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929. Summer sales at garden centers are a dime a dozen. But what are you really getting? Scrawny plants that nobody wanted in the first place won't help your garden. August Bargain Days at Estabrooks features big, beautiful, and healthy plants that have been cared for and, in many cases, grown by the talented staff, all at a fraction of the price. All plants are now 20 to 75% off at Estabrooks in Yarmouth, Scarborough, and Kennebunk. See the difference and save big today. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. Whether you're visiting for the summer or enjoying a vacation at home, the last thing you want to do is waste precious time, especially in the garden. Esther Brooks in Yarmouth, Scarborough, and Kennebunk makes decorating your home with beautiful plants quick and easy. They've got a great selection and great people here. I can always find what I need. It's just a wonderful place to shop. It's right down the road for me, too, so that makes it convenient. To learn more, visit EstherBrooksOnline.com. Esther Brooks for the joy of gardening. to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrook. I'm Tom Estabrook, and we are taping today as I am taking some more time off. Summer, fall is a great time for us to uh, get away from the garden center a little bit. We'll get busy here in September, and uh, so in August, I always try to take a little bit of time off, so this week we are taping. You can't call in, unfortunately, and ask Tim questions, because we have Tim Lindsay from Bartlett Tree Experts here with us today, and we've been talking about spruce and pines and all kinds of problems, you know, on evergreens, it seems like, this year. Um, increasingly, we seem to be having some problems with evergreens year after year. I, I don't know why. Yeah, well, the last couple of years, we've had some pretty wet weather, mm. as we just just had not long ago. Um, now you're going to start to see many of those diseases that rear its ugly head, so to speak, even on clients' property that we've been able to get in and treat appropriately. Right. Um, you, we're finding three treatments just are not enough. Four, right. five, depending on, on the um, tolerance of the client. Yeah, it's been it's been a tough weather year. I mean, we've we've had all kinds of customers with vegetable problems and and other things. The, they're always frustrated though 
with their big plants. You know, mm-hmm. their large maples, oaks, their big evergreens. You know, when they have a problem, that's not only costly to have it treated, it's also costly to have it taken down if it doesn't do well. So, you know, there's a lot of costs related to, you know, give me a little idea about, you know, why it's important to treat some of these problems so you aren't at a point where you have to spend a lot of money to remove. Well, being proactive is always a better way to go. Um, for most of these diseases, the treatment starts right at bud break. Mm-hmm. Early and spring. Early, early spring. And depending on, on what you're treating, um, it might vary a little bit. Evergreens might be a little bit later than the deciduous trees. Once that uh, bud scale first opens up and the leaf emerges, that's when it's most susceptible. Mm-hmm. It's cool weather, uh, a lot of moisture, and it's tender and succulent, and the diseases will, if they happen to be present, will attach themselves. Unfortunately, two weeks later, that leaf has outgrown that protection. You have to come in and reapply again. Mm-hmm. And depending on, on uh, the cultivar of tree and uh, will determine how many times you're treating, as well as the disease you're going after. We've seen a lot of anthracnose on oak trees this year, mm-hmm. as well as maple trees and birches. Okay. And uh, that's what's causing the leaves to fall off right now as we speak. Okay. You okay. see the, the lawns littered with birch leaves. And what, what do we do for anthracnose? I mean, is it a general spray? Is it, you know, what, what, what's the typical remedy? Uh, the remedy is, is applying a fungicide, uh, which is in the insecticide family, but it's a fungicide. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I mentioned, it coats the, the, the new emerging leaves and protects it against the spores. Uh, depending on, like I said, how much rain you get will determine if it was successful or not. Right. We had, what, a week or two of deluge <laughs> of rain. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> and we're between a rock and a hard spot. Uh, the manufacturers claim there's a sticker agent in the fungicide. We should be able to apply, mm-hmm. and it should stick. Well, it's not a miracle. Yeah. It, it gets washed off. Yeah. But... Um, so, you know, it, it you really need a professional. And what should people be asking a professional that they're, they're, you know, asking to come to their house? And, you know, what type of licensing should they look at, look for, insurance, you know, all of that type of stuff? Good questions. And I'd, well, based on state law, if you're going to be treating for health of trees, you need a main arborist license. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are going to disagree with that, but that's all part of the criteria to, to manage trees. Uh, but yes, you should have a pesticide license, an applicator license. If it's a sole proprietor, they're going to require them to have a master pesticide applicator mm-hmm. license. Uh, the insurance obviously is important. Absolutely. And, and some type of, uh, of background or training, and this is ongoing. I'm still learning as we speak. We all are. Uh, as opposed to go to a couple of um, continue education uh, type seminars and mm-hmm. say, there, I'm good for the year. Right. Uh, there's new products being used all the time. There's others that are being taken off the market mm-hmm. because there's better ones that are available. Um, gone are the days we would go in and just blast a property. Yeah, that, that's really not something that customers want, and it's nothing we don't want to spray. No, we don't. <laughs> it's, it's as simple as that. Absolutely, and it's called uh, integrated pest management. Mm-hmm. And that's knowing the plant, when the insect is going to be out, when the proper time to treat for the disease is, um, so that you can get it under control. Mm-hmm. No sense treating for white pine weevil in the fall of the year. Right. Because they're gone. Right. You've got to catch them when they're active. 
scale. We're seeing an awful lot of scale this year. And uh, once they hunker down, it's kind of like an army helmet. Mm-hmm. It just attaches itself to the plant. The products aren't going to get in underneath that helmet mm-hmm. or the body of the scale. So you've got to catch them when they're moving, mm-hmm. when they're mating, when they're breeding. Sure. That's the time to take them out. So there's a, there's a tremendous amount of uh, knowledge you have to have to treat appropriately and Absolutely. to get it under control. And uh, ideally, you want it under control within a couple of years. Then it's just maintenance, spot treatments. Mm-hmm. Are we going to totally eradicate everything? No. So there has to be a communication between the client and, and the, uh, the worker and helping them to understand we're within acceptable levels. Yeah. It well, seems to me that, and this is a topic that I've had a bunch of guests on the show, and it's a topic that keeps coming up time and time again. We maintain our homes. Mm-hmm. We maintain our patios. We maintain our paint on our house. We maintain our cars. We mow our lawn every week. But when it comes to pruning, maintaining, watering, landscape, you know, pruning and spraying and doing all of this, people are much more hesitant to spend that money. And, you know, a little money up front goes a long way down the road. I mean, corrective pruning just in will save you all kinds of ice damage. It will save you all kinds of time and money down the road if you do it as a younger plant rather than an older plant. So talk a little bit about that. Well, as you know, it took me a number of years to figure this out. Most landscape plantings are only good for 20, maybe 30 years. Absolutely. If you do no maintenance at all, you might as well plan to rip it up and 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 replant five to ten okay you know if you don't if you don't maintain your plants five to ten years everything's overgrown Mm -hmm. and by the time you go in and really aggressively prune it's a three to five year process to get it back absolutely so you've wasted most of your money most of your time which you can't get back uh so you know corrective pruning is something we all have to do but being you know progressive on your pruning early on in a life cycle of a tree creates something that you have the open air space you don't have the wounds you don't have right. all these problems that then the diseases come in exactly and proper tool selection mm-hmm. is is important leave the hedge trimmers in the in the garage mm-hmm. unless maybe it's a privet hedge right but uh, i cringe when i see people shearing junipers or rhododendrons mm-hmm. um, we like to do the renewal pruning rejuvenation pruning and that's where you come in and take an oversized plant, try to reduce it a little bit, but take some interior cuts at a branch union, mm. knowing full well that in most cases where you've made that cut, you're going to get some buds started next year. Absolutely. So over a three- or four-year period, that oversized plant can be reduced down to where the, the deepest cut was that you made with some uh, two or three different lengths of, 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 of new growth. Mm-hmm. And it makes it look much more natural much more informal, and uh, it's better for the plant in the long run. Because uh, most plants need to breathe, get the air to flow through. Uh, by opening up the top of plants, as I've just mentioned, you're going to get sun penetration, mm-hmm. which helps to stimulate growth. Yeah, it seems to me that you know when everything is packed in and we get these rainy stints, <clears throat> that's the, the, the perfect scenario for all of these diseases to kind of start. You know, um, I find 
on blue spruce especially, or a lot of our evergreens, if they are branched right to the ground, you know, it's a perfect condition for you to damage, like you said, damage the branches, then it opens up to problems. So do you usually recommend limbing up a little bit on some of these trees, or how how do you recommend on that? I mean, it's got to be case by case. Well, it is case by case and client by client. Client. Mm -hmm. Some like that low skirt to the ground. Mm -hmm. Others like to see a little bit of the trunk. Uh, if the lawnmowers are, are running over the branches, it's a no-brainer. It's mm-hmm. an easy sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I typically like to get a foot, foot and a half of, of clearance between the low branch and the ground. Mm-hmm. That way there you can get some airflow. Uh, other people have different preferences. So we've talked a lot about things that have already basically made a problem in their plants. How important is it that this fall people get, like yourself, in there and diagnose the problem so that you're all set and ready to go for spring if that's the proper time frame? Another good question. Uh, where do I begin? <laughs> the importance is foreseeing what the issues are, dealing with the stressful conditions that we've already talked about because that's going to help to eliminate some of the issues down the road. Uh, knowing the plant, what to expect, knowing whether they're in the right Location, i.e. rhododendrons, do not like wet feet. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that. You're going to get root rot. Put the right plant in the right place. Um, Identifying potential issues before they occur, uh, because if you're fortunate enough, you'll catch it right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So you make a few corrections. Uh, Developing an integrated pest management plan for next year, which includes all the pruning, but dealing with the insects and disease. We're finding now how important it is to have the right elements in the fertilizer mm-hmm. for the plants. Mm-hmm. So we're doing what's called prescription fertilizer. It's not for every plant, but those key plants on the property. If it's missing a trace element, you're not going to catch it with your typical NPNK. Absolutely not. Yeah. And uh, if there's yellowing of the leaves, you've got to add different different products Absolutely. to get that turned around. So there's all, it's, a, it's a hard question to answer, Tom, right? because it's just so many facets to it. Yeah, it seems to me that it really, really would be beneficial to customers. If you have a problem, call in some professionals and find out, you know, absolutely what's going on. And then you're informed. You can make a decision, okay, we want to take care of this in the fall. We want to take care of it in the spring. You know, and that way you have the time frame in order to set up the crews, understand what type of volume of work there is, um, and be able to go in and treat things. Like you said, everything is so time sensitive. Mm -hmm. And if you know what you have to treat, you can better plan for it. Exactly, yes. And you have some websites where people can go to kind of see some of these things. Yeah, absolutely, I do. I um, Rather than rattle off 15, 20 different digits, I've been able to condense it down to simple uh, catchwords that people can go to. And um, these are sites provided by the, by the state, and they'll help you identify some of the insect and disease issues that are prevalent. The first one is from the main Department of Agriculture. It's simple, got pests. That's pretty easy. That's simple. The next one is also by the Maine Department of Agriculture. This is a Facebook website. Mm -hmm. It's called Maine Bug Watch. Maine Bug Watch. Yes. I was there prior to coming in here. It's it's a pretty good website. And last but not least, you have the Maine uh, Forest Services and the site that you'd go to to check out what the conditions of the trees are here in the state of Maine is simply Maine Forest Service Conditions Report. 
There's a wealth of information there. Uh, you can find out what's going on. I believe it even gives a brief description of what to look for, mm-hmm. the counties that the, the issue is in. And um, I don't know if they're giving much about control, but yeah. very informative. Well, I think that's a wealth of knowledge, and we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Tim, from Tim Lindsay on News Talk WLOB. Regular old mulch leaving your plants wanting more? Casella's Organics Nutra Mulch is a superior mulch for improving any landscape. Made in Maine from aged native bark and earth life compost, its dark color and rich texture are ideal for perennials, ornamentals, trees, and shrubs. Earthlife Nutri-Mulch is nutrient-stabilized with compost so the bark doesn't compete with plants for nutrients. Visit CaselaOrganics.com or call 800-4-COMPOST for a source near you. Summer sales at garden centers are a dime a dozen, but what are you really getting? Scrawny plants that nobody wanted in the first place won't help your garden. August Bargain Days at Estabrooks features big, beautiful, and healthy plants that have been cared for and, in many cases, grown by the talented staff, all at a fraction of the price. All plants are now 20 to 75% off at Estabrooks in Yarmouth, Scarborough, and Kennebunk. See the difference and save big today. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. Whether you're visiting for the summer or enjoying a vacation at home, the last thing you want to do is waste precious time, especially in the garden. Esther Brooks in Yarmouth, Scarborough, and Kennebunk makes decorating your home with beautiful plants quick and easy. They've got a great selection and great people here. I can always find what I need. It's just a wonderful place to shop. It's right down the road for me, too, so that makes it convenient. To learn more, visit EstherBrooksOnline.com. Esther Brooks for the joy of gardening. Welcome back to The Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook, and we've been talking with Tim Lindsay from Bartlett Tree Experts about all kinds of problems out there. And, uh, you know, it's important, Tim, that uh, customers, I guess I can't ram this home, you know, tough enough, is the time frame in which customers need to react to problems. And the first thing is to come to the garden center when you have a problem. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you get this smartphones and tablets and all these things that now can take pictures. What a big help that is, you know, in at least initially emailing off a picture. And at least then it list, it allows us as professionals to help diagnose these things to really understand if, oh, this is a problem. I got to get over there right now. Or, well, this is something common. You know, it's okay. We just calm down it'll be all right we'll we'll get it taken care of so do you have do you run into that where people are sending you pictures and stuff now yes absolutely and in fact i will send pictures to our lab mm-hmm. can you help me with this and re- and try to avoid sending samples down because i need an answer today right but in most cases uh people that know their plant material they know in a nutshell what they're going to be looking for i.e birch trees leaf miner borers japanese beetle right Right. Yeah. That kind of leads us to, you know, a customer had a question. My linden and birch trees have no leaves left on them. The Japanese beetles have decimated them. What do I do? It, it's a little late at this point. Yeah, it is. You know, it is. Um, will it kill the tree? No, not directly. Right. But it's, again, a stressor like it's we talked a, about. Exactly it is. 
Um, <clears throat> it definitely weakens the tree because depending on when they lose their leaves, the tree has to put out another flush of leaves mm-hmm. because it's all about creating energy to be stored up for next year. Well, that energy to, to create those new leaves come from the root system. Mm-hmm. So you've kind of weakened the tree. Right. So what can a homeowner do? Keep the tree watered. Long, slow, deep watering as opposed to frequent waterings every night. Right. You can't, I don't believe you can stand there long enough with that garden hose and give it enough water. Mm-hmm. You can see it running down the driveway and right. figure out oh, it's enough. Right. Slow, deep penetration is what you need. Yeah. On a special. Uh, sp- Established plants is very, very important. You know, if it's a newer plant, you might go a little more often, a little less water, you know, due to you've been watering all along. If you stopped watering, then we need to get at least a slow, deep watering to start, and then we'll pick it up and keep those surface roots. You know, the surface roots, once they die, it's real tough to keep that tree happy. Yes, it is. And, you know, obviously we should have done some application of insecticide to keep those those Japanese beetles off. We shouldn't have let it get that far. Yeah. The, uh, I believe it's a product you people carry. It's a midacloprid. Mm-hmm. This was a, a um, an insecticide a pharmaceutical company discovered. Bear. That's right. <laughs> and you know the story. And they thought it was going to work great for mosquitoes which it didn't, and they did a little research and come to find out it works very well on insects that uh, have a primitive digestive system, mm-hmm. i.e. aphids right. is a great one. Bronze birch borer is another one. And I guess the Japanese beetle are susceptible to this as well. Absolutely. The beauty of this product, you put it in around the base of the tree, mm-hmm. and you don't need to go out to the drip line. You keep it close because that's where the majority of the absorption roots are. Mm-hmm. And uh, the tree absorbs it, <clears throat> excuse me, and dis- disperses it into the leaves. And it's a good time to do that when it's hot, mm-hmm. you know, to get it activated and up into the tree. You know, early on in the cycle, you know, when there's not a lot of activity, you don't want to use it then, right? Right, exactly. And the other thing to keep in mind, the beetles have to eat part of the leaves to get it into the digestive system. So you will get some damage, but it yeah. won't be like this, you know, lacy tree that has some skeleton skeletonized leaves and i'm going around driving now and boy i see a lot of birch right now that are very 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 heavily attacked have you found that japanese beetles have been that heavy this year in all honesty i have not and i have not also um it's pockets it's pockets you know uh so and i i love it you know give that japanese beetle trap to somebody else oh yeah that's a great trick isn't it (laughs) you get somebody new moving in the neighborhood and and give them four or five Japanese beetle traps and, and, and just say, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, it'll call all the beetles to their property. Absolutely. And, uh, Great opportunity if you have a big grassy field or something. Put it out in the field. Let them go out and feed on the grassy field. But other than that, I don't see a lot of use for Japanese beetle traps. Let's wrap up here, Tim, and let's talk a little bit about cedar apple rust because this is a problem. For years, we have planted apples and crab apples. Seems to be it affects them the most, mm-hmm. although it affects other plants too, correct? Yes, uh, yes, it does. Uh, shadbush, amelanchier mm-hmm. is, is another one. Absolutely. Um, the best thing you can do is get rid of your junipers. Yeah. That's, where, that's the host plant for the disease. Um, and what do they look look for on the junipers, you know, that shows signs that they definitely oh, have? Good question. I just, one of my crew people brought a, a section back just recently. It's, um, it's kind of ugly. 
It's a gob <laughs> of, of uh, orange jello, yeah. jelly-looking substance with a lot of tentacles. Mm-hmm. It might only be a half, three-quarters of an inch long. And uh, it's real soft to the touch. Mm-hmm. And the disease is leaving the trees, the hawthorns and the crab apples, and it's going back to the juniper. And then next year, the spores will start again. Mm-hmm. Now, I asked a question years ago, why aren't we treating junipers? Mm-hmm. And apparently, it's, it's too difficult to control. Absolutely. So now we, we go proactive, and that's one of those terms that we use in IPM. We know it's going to get diseased. Right. So we treat as a preventative. Mm-hmm. We don't wait until we see them. Right. The evidence, because it's too late. And um, so you treat it with a fungicide. Okay. It's a prophylactic approach to protecting the, the leaves, mm-hmm. and it covers it. Okay, okay. And cedar apple rust, you typically see what, like little orange dots on the leaves, or, yes. or what, what do you see? It, it's kind of pretty mm-hmm. um, when you look at the leaves when it first starts to go into decline. Um, okay, now I know you're a disease geek. <laughs> okay, that's, that's for sure. <laughs> the, uh, the lesions will show up as kind of red, yellow, and a little bit orange. Mm-hmm. And as the disease progresses on the underside of the leaf, you'll see these tentacles mm-hmm. appearing. And eventually, usually when the heat hits, the tree will abort those leaves. Right. And um, because it, do- it can't sustain them. Right. And it puts all its energy in those that it uh, can sustain. So that's one of the reasons why you're seeing a lot of bare crab apples and hawthorns. And typically at this time of year where you've had this problem, you've lost the leaves, so we've had a stressor, borer can be – is, is now the time that – when is borer typically attacking? Another good question. When trees are weak, um, I'm thinking most of the borers might hit in the springtime. That's when we're trying mm-hmm. to put our borer – uh, sprays on okay and that's just a a, a trunk application mm-hmm. and once again catching them when they're laying their eggs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and when they come in contact with it or try to penetrate the bark to deposit the eggs it'll take them out and will amylocloped help with that also if we're you know drenching the root system for other things I, I know that there's been some claims on that i haven't had a lot of experience with it working on a tree that already has borer works great on birch trees okay um, they've not had the testing for borers on your crab apples or the um, yeah any the other you know other fruit bearing yeah trees. I mean let's face it hawthorns, I mean they show up in hawthorns cherries uh, crab apples apples borer is just something that number one stress is just the biggest right. thing to relieve it yeah. and they won't attack really a stressed tree right I mean yeah. a, a healthy tree no they won't usually we see the borer damage on fruit trees when they're being first planted mm-hmm. and uh, because that's when they're the weakest as mm-hmm. I meant we talked about earlier absolutely they've lost a lot of the root system and and that that's a call it puts out a pheromone the tree does mm-hmm. and the insect knows the trees that are weakened absolutely and they, they'll clobber it okay and okay. it's easy to find you'll see them at the base of the tree usually you have this uh, little exit hole mm-hmm. and um, if it's during the summertime and you can you suspect you might have borers take a um, paper clip paper clip yeah or a pipe cleaner mm-hmm. uh, without the fuzzy part on it and just snake it up through there and it'll get soft and absolutely just ream it around a little bit and that's an most organic way I can think That's of. That's an to, easy way to catch borer when it first happens. And then you know you really need to be good about stress relief on your trees. Yeah. And, you know, don't feel like it's the last, the end all. Trees with borer will grow a long time. Yes, it, they will. But the stress relief is really the biggest mm-hmm. thing. Well, on another note, if I could make it quick. Absolutely. Uh, going into the fall of the year, it's important to water the plants. Uh, a healthy tree going into the winter will develop more root system and be much healthier. 
In the same way, in the spring, summer, and fall, we see all the activity above the tree mm-hmm. and the elongation of the twig and, and buds and leaf and flowers, et cetera, et cetera. When that tree shuts down, until that ground freezes, now all the action is developing root system for next year. Mm-hmm. So it's important to water, to keep the tree fertilized, to keep a healthy tree for the years to come. Yeah, and this this is the time of year to start that. Absolutely. Now yes. that we're getting temperatures in the you know 60s, 50s, 40s at night, that tree is saying, I need to prepare. Mm-hmm. And it's putting on root system. It's not growing much at this time. Right. You know, you might get a little Indian summer flush in the, in the fall, but really for the most part, plants are rooting now. They're not really growing. Absolutely. Yes, they are. Tim Lindsay, thank you so much for being on. And thank you for having me. We'll I've have you here this. again. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. You may not know it, but most lawn fertilizers actually spread chemicals and pesticides across your entire lawn. Until now, that's been the history of lawn care products. It's also why Espoma has developed an affordable, all-natural lawn program that is safe for kids and pets. The program consists of four organic fertilizers that are specifically formulated to keep your lawn green. Each product lasts two and a half times longer than traditional chemical products, and they won't burn your lawn or leach away. You already know Espoma as a name you can trust. They've been making organic plant foods like Holly Tone and Plant Tone for over 84 years. Imagine a great-looking lawn that you're not afraid to walk barefoot on. It's a whole new day in lawn care. Look for Espoma organic lawn food products wherever quality lawn and garden products are sold. And visit Espoma.com videos to learn more about organic lawn care. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929. At Coast of Maine Organic Products, we've known for a long time that plants love lobster just as much as people do. It's one of the reasons we started composting marine residuals back in 1996. And although we've had great success in getting gardeners and their plants hooked on lobster throughout New England, the Mid-Atlantic, and Midwest, the heart and soul of what we do is here in Maine. Plants love lobster because the calcium and chitin in the lobster shells break down in the composting process and become plant-ready food that help to make your plants strong and healthy. And of course, the plants don't use any butter, so they're even healthier. So support your local retailer and Maine's lobster industry by using Coast of Maine's Quaddy Lobster Compost in your garden. Coast of Maine, a lobster compost company. Approved for organic growers by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Visit us at www.coastofmaine.com. Back to the Joy of Gardening by Estabrook. I'm Tom Estabrook. I'd like to thank Tim Lindsay. Always a wealth of knowledge. I always learn a bunch of things when Tim's on. Uh, we talk quite often about problems that we're seeing in the garden center. And, you know, it's very important to have good resources that you can contact, uh, you know, for all these problems. And certainly we at Estabrook's are, are a place where we love you to bring the problems to us. Okay, and then we will source out people like Tim Lindsay and many others that we deal with. Wonderful people at the state, like Jim Dill, who's been on the show, um, you know, and 
we've got a whole group of people that are behind the scenes, and Tim gave some great websites. Um, it's really, really good, good information out there, and the state is getting even better and better about funneling that information to us in a in a manner in which we have the best information. So when you come in with problems, we've already seen what it looks like. We, you know, but with that being said, there are many things out there that are new that are constantly coming in. And we've had a couple instances this year where people have brought stuff uh, uh, to us, and actually the state has gone out and looked at it, and and it have been either brand-new insects or brand-new diseases. So that does help the state also when you have problems. If we don't know about them, we can't help you diagnose the problem, we can't help you turn the plant around, and we can't you know, help you be successful in your garden. So really, really important to us that you're in contact with us. You can always send us pictures. You can always email us. You can always come into the garden center. If there isn't someone right there that can help you with the problem, we're willing to say we don't know. This is an educated guess. Leave the sample with us. We'll contact the state for you and have them contact you. So we'll do the hard work because we have the contacts. And when they get an email from a garden center like ourselves or one of the independent garden centers in Maine, a lot of times they respond to us very quickly because we have a great relationship. Now, you as a customer that sends it in, it may go to their junk file. It may go someplace else. They may be on vacation. Uh, you know, so work through us. It's a great way to really, really, really get good information back. A couple other things that we didn't talk with Tim about that is kind of showing up right now. One is dwarf Alberta spruce, very common plant, that nice pyramidal evergreen you see in front of many homes, accents in the garden. But dwarf Alberta spruce this time of year are very, very susceptible to spider mite. Okay, so I want you to go out and look at your dwarf Alberta spruce. Okay, and what you will see is you will see a light yellow haze to the interior needles. You may see some small webbing in splotches, and then you may also see some completely brown splotches. That is spider mite. Okay, we will not have a problem with spider mite if the plant is watered correctly. But once we have it, we do have to apply, you know, um, neem oil is a good way to go on that. And we will have to spray, um, you know, in order to get rid of it. So go out and inspect those right now. The other, you know, thing that is kind of showing up out there right now is ticks, ticks and mosquitoes. And you know, Tim does my spraying at my house for ticks and mosquitoes, and we didn't get time to really touch base on that. But I want, you know, we have had a very, very wet season, and there's nothing better for ticks and mosquitoes. In my house, I couldn't sit on my back deck from four o'clock on. I, I just couldn't, uh, and it was just awful. We couldn't have dinner outside. It was, you know, really detrimental. You know, if I went out into the, you know, when I was mowing the lawn, I'd have some ticks on me by the end of the year. So be proactive right now. Um, I know I typically do one or two sprays a year, 
and it really makes a huge difference. I feel comfortable with the kids coming over and playing after that. The last thing I want is, you know, for a bunch of my friends to bring their kids over and they leave my house and they've got ticks all over them. And the mosquitoes, we got to watch out for bird flu and all these other things. Now, many of these problems with mosquitoes have not really been a problem here in Maine. But I know I get terrible bites, <laughs> and they're very irritating, and I scratch terribly, and so does my wife. So, you know, the mosquitoes have been really, really tough with this with this bad, bad weather. In the second hour, we are going to talk with um, Kathleen Marty from the Garden Federation of Maine. She's the president of the Garden Federation of Maine. And we're going to talk to her a little bit about why it's important to join a garden club, what they do for communities, um, you know, what the mission of the Federation is, and hopefully what we'll talk a little bit about what their community outreach reaches. I got a wonderful scholarship when I was leaving high school and going into college for, um, you know, horticulture. The Yarmouth Garden Club gave me a very generous a uh, wonderful gift, you know, of a scholarship. And that really helped me, you know, kind of shape my path. And where I was going, you know, uh, did I necessarily need it? Probably not. But they really help support people who are moving into not only gardening, but agriculture and many other things. So really important that people understand garden clubs, they're a wonderful club. They're a great place a great place to learn about gardening. Now, many, many times people think that it's all older folks in garden clubs, and many garden clubs it is. But what I will say is I would like to see a new generation start to get involved. And the reason being is it is a wonderful place to learn about gardening. If you're lo looking to learn about vegetable gardening, the community gardens are a great place. If you're looking to learn about flower gardening and shrubs and all of those things, the wealth of knowledge that these folks have in a garden club, you can't be under, it can't be understated. These people have tricks. They know the lay of the land. They can tell you how to be successful with things. It really, really is a great place to learn. And then, you know, once you get some background knowledge you can come on into the garden center and once you have knowledge you have power and once you have power you can be successful it is an amazing thing i love garden clubs i talk to many of them year in and year out we'll be back with more from the joy of gardening on news talk wlob to the joy of gardening second hour i'm tom estabrook your host great first hour with tim Lindsay. Uh, a lot of things going on out there in the garden and things we can prepare for which is nice uh you know for next spring and this fall you know things we should be looking out for uh, a whole host of problems on evergreens uh, and larger trees i, I guess that's kind of what i wanted to get across with tim coming in is that a lot of our bigger trees are starting to have quite a bit of problems. Uh, it's easy for us to treat, uh, you know, and do things to the smaller plants that you buy from us and, and put them in and kind of take care of them and water them. 
but we forget about those big trees a lot of times. And uh, important to stress relief on them and also be doing some preventative maintenance on them along the way. So I hope that came through uh, with Tim. It's not all about spraying. I want to make sure that people understand that. But it's really more about stress relief. It's about doing some preventative maintenance and then understanding when we do have a problem, what we can take care of and what we shouldn't take care of personally. Uh, some things, it's great to have a professional come in and deal with that uh, in a way that they can where we don't have the tools or, or uh, the knowledge to do so. So Tim's an excellent resource for all of that. Let's talk a little bit about vegetables uh, because I wanted to give a little vegetable garden update. You know, last week we talked a little bit about how my vegetable garden was struggling. Uh, it it kind of was off color, not looking so great. Uh, I, I'm happy to report the fertilizer we put down really has greened everything up. And looking at the at the uh, at the garden, things have just exploded within a few days. Um, and it's amazing how that organic fertilizer like Garden Tone and Neptune's Harvest really just main things green up very quickly, but not to put on too much growth. And, you know, I didn't put a heavy feed on, I put a light feed. So I didn't want to push things too quickly. But boy, the lettuce has just exploded. Um, But we've had some pest problems. And so I've had to kind of go in and take care of a few things and wanted to give you a heads up of some things I wanted you to look at and make sure we've had some problems with some Japanese beetles on my basil. So we've had to go in and kind of take care of that. Uh, we covered it over with some with some row cover, um, our harvest guard, and just cleaned them off and then and then covered that over, uh, picked and harvested a bunch before we did that. And um, potato beetle on my eggplant, very very common problem. They're chewing up the leaves, so we had to come in. I used a little seven on that, uh, and or eight. And tomato hornworm has arrived. Uh, we've had the first sighting, so I just picked those off. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to pick those off. I don't need to do a spray. If you would like to, the time to spray for tomato hornworm is to kind of be proactive in that and use some thuricide or BT and be proactive in that instead of waiting until you have it. So if you are looking for the for um, tomato hornworm, look for the small when they're small, okay? A lot of times you'll see small little droppings on the leaves. That's the sign that tomato hornworm has started. So look at the leaves, and if you find droppings, look just above that. Typically, they're right there someplace underneath the leaf or on top of the leaf. Uh, Go ahead and make sure and look for that. The other thing that has shown up uh, are a few aphids. Um, I'm seeing some aphids on my celery and also some on my parsley. Uh, so I've just used a little spray of pyrethrins on that, and uh, that is taking care of that problems. Uh, the other thing is I've got some fungus going on. So you can tell I'm at war here. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I unfortunately let the plants get a little too stressed in that heat. And, uh, you know, I did my best to water. The, unfortunately, I didn't keep my fertilization where I needed to be. So we all make mistakes in gardening, and that's fine. Now we've got to correct those problems. So I've put a little copper sulfate on my cucumbers because they've got a couple specks of powdery mildew showing up. Okay, it's the perfect conditions. And secondly, I've got a little bit of rot going on on my beans. So I just sprayed those down as a preventative. Nothing that I'm too concerned about, but just notice just a little bit showing up. And it's that gray fuzzy, you know, kind of thing going on. Uh, When you get in there, you know, spread the leaves apart and 
and inspect. Don't just look at the upper leaves. Look underneath on your beans. It's really important to get down underneath there and make sure there's nothing going on. Uh, it's that time of year when they're starting to get really big and bushy and close and they're flopping over. And So, you know, now's the time when you're going to start to have some, some things going up. But lettuce, my lettuce is unbelievable. I love fresh lettuce. It is the best thing ever. There's nothing better than picking it and going right to the table. You know, it just is, there's nothing like it. You can't buy lettuce in the store that tastes that good. It just has such flavor. I particularly like the leaf lettuces. I like the mescaline mixes. I can pick them and replant them. We'll be planting another crop here shortly. Uh, You know, the nice part about leaf lettuce is you can harvest all the time. One thing you want to watch out is them getting too old. At a certain point, you need to abandon and replant. So I always leave a little bit of space to plant some rows. So when I start harvesting on my leaf lettuce, I typically reseed some more rows. Okay, that way I can give up on some of it when the other comes on. And as lettuce gets older, it gets bitter. So if you you start to get a little bit of taste of bitter on your lettuce, it's time to abandon that lettuce. It does not last all season, folks. There's no way lettuce lasts all season. It's just impossible. So start thinking about planting a little bit of lettuce right now. And last but not least, the herbs. The herbs have really come on. My rosemary, mints, uh, parsleys, uh, and certainly cilantro have all been great. Cilantro right now is getting ready to go to coriander. Okay, starting to set seed. Now that's the difference between cilantro and coriander. The coriander is the seed. Okay, so when it goes to seed, that's what you get from cilantro. If you want more cilantro, cut it back more often. It will keep the leaves going. That's another plant that will get bitter. So you might also think about right now planting some more basil because that's probably starting to think about bolting if you haven't been, you know, harvesting along the way. And secondly, cilantro. Great late fall. I love cilantro with you know, uh, and basil with tomatoes. So we've started harvesting tomatoes, but having that late summer crop where you can have tomato, tomato, basil, mozzarella, appetizers, little nice cilantro with some pasta, you know, so having that available for later in the season, when you have a lot of vegetables you're harvesting, you can create a lot of different dishes. And then, you know, you have the tools to do it right out of your garden. So maybe you don't need to go to the store. You know, you can create something right out of your garden. I'm a big protein person, so I always love to go to the grocery store. There's nothing better than fresh vegetables with a nice cut of meat. I personally like that. My wife, she can sit there and eat vegetables all day. She absolutely would love just to have dinner right out of the garden, and we do quite often. Um, But looking forward to that harvest time when we have enough to just enjoy a whole bunch of different things coming out. So the vegetable garden is really, really looking great. Things have come a long way. Now's the time to plant for fall. Think about now as that time frame. You know, we're six, eight weeks out from frost. I know that's tough to think about, but that's when it can start happening. It may be later than that. We may be able to protect things, but think about it in these terms. If you typically plant something in April or early May for harvest in June or July, now's the time to do it for harvest in late September. Okay, things will slow down and not grow as fast because it's kind of reversed. Things will sprout very quickly. 
but then they will take time to size up because of our cool nights. So great time, time to start thinking about putting your second and third crops of things in, uh, so get active. When we come back from the break, we're going to be... Uh, Hopefully here, having Kathleen Marty from the Garden Federation of Maine, uh, all those wonderful garden clubs. She is the president of that association, and we'll be talking about a whole host of things and why you should join a garden club. We're going to be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. Summer sales at garden centers are a dime a dozen. But what are you really getting? Scrawny plants that nobody wanted in the first place won't help your garden. August Bargain Days at Estabrooks features big, beautiful, and healthy plants that have been cared for and, in many cases, grown by the talented staff, all at a fraction of the price. All plants are now 20 to 75% off at Estabrooks in Yarmouth, Scarborough, and Kennebunk. See the difference and save big today. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. Whether you're visiting for the summer or enjoying a vacation at home, the last thing you want to do is waste precious time, especially in the garden. Esther Brooks in Yarmouth, Scarborough, and Kennebunk makes decorating your home with beautiful plants quick and easy. They've got a great selection and great people here. I can always find what I need. It's just a wonderful place to shop. It's right down the road for me, too, so that makes it convenient. To learn more, visit EstherBrooksOnline.com. Esther Brooks for the joy of gardening. Do you have planting insurance? You can with Biotone Starter Plus from Mespoma. It's the ultimate starter plant food, and you can use it for everything you plant. Just mix it in with the soil. It works like three products in one to guarantee your success, even in poor soils. The secret is a special blend of natural organic plant food, beneficial microbes, and mycorrhizal fungi. The result is that plants grow faster, roots grow deeper, and flowers and vegetables become more abundant. Maintain your plants with the Tones, a full line of organic plant foods including Holly Tone, Plant Tone, and Rose Tone. There's a tone for almost every tree, shrub, flower, or vegetable. Best of all, every Espoma product is safe for people, pets, and the environment. Look for Biotone Starter Plus at your local garden center and visit espoma.com slash videos for product info and valuable gardening tips. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929. Regular old mulch leaving your plants wanting more? Casella Organics Nutri-Mulch is a superior mulch for improving any landscape. Made in Maine from aged native bark and earthlife compost, its dark color and rich texture are ideal for perennials, ornamentals, trees, and shrubs. Earthlife Nutri-Mulch is nutrient-stabilized with compost, so the bark doesn't compete with plants for nutrients. Visit CaselaOrganics.com or call 800-4-COMPOST for a source near you. Joy of Gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook. What a beautiful weather pattern we're having. Uh, just amazing gardening weather, and things have really responded nicely after that summer heat. Hopefully we don't see that return. But unfortunately here in Maine, we tend to get some of that here in August, and it's just the nature of the beast. We really need to keep up on our water, think about fall, start planning. Um, you know, like I was talking about before the break on our vegetable garden, things are just unbelievable, really responding. But let's talk a little bit about 
Garden Federation of Maine. And we have Kathleen Marty, uh, president of Garden Center, Garden Federation of Maine. Good morning, Kathleen. Good morning, Tom. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So tell us a little bit about the Garden Federation of Maine. Well, uh, the Garden Club Federation of Maine was founded and organized in 1931. We have uh, seven districts uh, around the state of Maine, which includes 44 garden clubs and about 2,400 members. Wow, 2,400 members. That's great. Um, tell me, you know, the garden, garden clubs, I speak to many of them uh, in a year. Uh, tell me about the continuing education, and I know you're bringing speakers in all the time, and do you have, like, annual meetings, and how, how does... How does how does the Federation, is it structured? Okay. We, uh, as a state organization, belong to the New England region uh, made up of the states of New England. And then we, in turn, belong to the National Garden Club, Inc., uh, which is the national organization, has thousands and thousands of members mm-hmm. uh, nationwide, including some uh, foreign countries also in okay. the uh, southern hemisphere. And we have our goals and objectives based on the NGC mission statement, which is to provide education, resources, national networking opportunities for members to promote the love of gardening, floral design, and civic and environmental responsibility. That's a big mouthful. Wow, that's, that is. That's quite, <laughs> that's quite that the mission. Can, that can include anything from, like you mentioned, um, speakers at our local clubs, and each of the local clubs plan one year in advance of what they're going to be doing for the year and what kind of programs they want to have, either on horticulture, floral design, something on pest control, something on growing dahlias, Mm -hmm. even, or perennials, and that kind of thing. And then the districts have a annual meeting, whereby the clubs within the district get together and have an annual meeting and share and have a speaker. And then the federation, uh, our state federation, has a fall conference, which is in October, mm-hmm. and is currently held at the Augusta Civic Center, okay. uh, the last part of um, October. And we bring in at least two speakers, um, depending upon the, the speakers and the topics, it might be as many as three, for the day of learning, sharing, and exchanging ideas amongst the members. And then annually we have a state convention, which is in June, Mm -hmm. and it's held in different locations around the state so that all of our members are able to travel, uh, not the same distance each year, but be able to travel and enjoy. Usually it's it's been three days, but it's going to drop down to two days. Okay. And we will have workshops. We will have hand-on, hands-on demonstrations. We will have dem- regular demonstrations, uh, and then we will have speakers um, and our annual meeting on Thursday. So a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> a, a lot, yes. And and tell me a little bit about um, what type of community outreach typically do you, as garden clubs, I, I know. 
we're very active in my area, in the Yarmouth to Kennebunk area, yes. um, being very proactive and getting out planting and doing all kinds. Of, so talk to me a little bit about community outreach and, and how many of these clubs are affecting their communities. Uh, it is very uh, widespread and varied is what the clubs do. Mm-hmm. Some of them may support memorial gardens in a particular area, such as uh, a historic building. Okay. They may plant that. A lot do with uh, do window boxes and Christmas wreaths for public buildings, libraries, that kind of sure. uh, thing. The civic plantings uh, at local gardens is a big thing. We one of our clubs decorates the Blaine House for their holiday. Oh wow, that's tea wonderful! Every year, and it's magnificent. Mm-hmm. They have children's gardens at libraries and schools. We have plant sales. We have a club that uh, works with the Arboretum in Portland Mm -hmm. and plants trees. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we do um, also offer uh, in the uh, Bar Harbor area a lot of the community gardens up there that are visited by everyone. Our garden clubs support those. Okay. So, you know, a wide, wide range of, of opportunities there for people to get a lot of knowledge. And garden clubs, to me, are a great foundation for people to join and learn. And, you know, one thing that I, I think is unfortunate is there's a stereotype that garden clubs are older folks and more mature gardeners. But are you finding a lot of younger folks are starting to join? We are finding that some younger ones, and I'll be honest, it's difficult because so many younger men and women work and to find the time to come to a meeting. And traditionally, garden club meetings have been held during the day, Mm -hmm. which lets out uh, some people of being able to attend. But some of our clubs have started uh, offering meetings in the evening. They've done special programs on Saturdays to reach out to all of those people in the community. Mm -hmm. We are starting to find that the baby boomers, now that they're retiring, are looking for something to do. And a lot of them may have had an interest in gardening, didn't have the time when they were working, but now that they have more free time, are looking for something to interact with other people and to keep up their uh, physical skills and dexterity, flexibility, which is what gardening does for you. So we are starting to draw some some of the baby boomers into uh, garden clubs. Mm-hmm. We found that also is occurring with community gardens also, that, you know, it's a sense of community. It's an area where people can kind of join in, you know, as they retire and have more time. It's really a great, great thing to hear that some of the meetings are starting to happen at night um, because I think that will help uh, significantly. Yes, yes. And the other thing that the Garden Club Federation and all of our clubs do is we have extensive youth programs at the schools, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, uh, any kind of youth group that's, that's getting together. And we're trying to build the interest in gardening with the younger generation. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are starting to say, what can we do about our environment? How does gardening impact that? 
and maybe I need to know more about um, where that food comes that mom puts on my plate. It doesn't come necessarily from a can in the grocery store. It comes from somewhere else. So those kinds of programs, I think, will make an impact on future generations, and some of those mothers and fathers of those school children are getting more involved in and interested in gardening. That is music to my ears. Um, we kind of missed a generation, to be perfectly honest, of gardeners. Um, many, many, many people now who are getting a little bit later on in life are finding out that how, how unbelievable it is when you grow something and put it on your own table or you grow the flowers that you give to your neighbor as as a gift when you go to dinner or a friend you know, you're going to visit. Um, it, it really is rewarding and really important that we reinforce that with our younger generations because now we do have some of those parents that have their kids that are up in their teenage years and have more time. Um, maybe they're done with sports, their kids are going off to college, and they have more time to be more interactive with doing some of these types of activities like gardening and, and uh, whatnot. Uh, so it's great to hear that you're, you're kind of reaching out to that younger generation and getting them involved. Well, we're very pleased with the efforts that our clubs are making, and they do work year-round with the kids mm-hmm. in all sorts of different formats. Are, are garden clubs still participating uh, in doing scholarships? I know when I was entering into um, college, I got a wonderful scholarship from the Yarmouth Garden Club uh, to help support me going to college, and it really made a difference in, in my life. And I've always tried to give back to garden clubs and, and do whatever I can to, to help promote them. Uh, is, has that taken a hit in the economy? It has not. In yeah. fact, I'd say it's, um, we've done the reverse. Wonderful. Um, the Garden Clubs of Maine give, uh, and it could be $500, it could be $3,000. Mm-hmm. It varies with the individual garden clubs. But totally, if you look at the, the garden clubs in Maine, they give anywhere from thirty-five dollars to $40,000 in scholarships per year to graduating seniors mm-hmm. of from high school, and some of them will continue with those throughout their uh, college career. Mm-hmm. And then the state organization, we give normally around $4,000 a year to a junior or senior in college who's in, majoring in the field of horticulture, environmental sciences, botany, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I can't tell you how important that is. You know, my industry needs better people, more educated people. We have the jobs. That's not an issue. But it really comes down to people choosing this as a lifestyle because it's not a lifestyle you're going to get rich at. It's not a lifestyle that you're going to, you know, just have the biggest boat and do all of those things. It really is a lifestyle about, you know, helping support people and also becoming a doctor of the garden. And, uh, you know, it's a wonderful thing that you, you still are able to, you know, support all of that. Well, in addition to the, the state scholarship that we give, uh, that student then is, their application is passed along to the National Garden Clubs, which gives out scholarships in May of each year to those junior seniors. And the state has to send along their applicant that they would like to be recognized. Mm-hmm. And I'm very proud to say that Maine's 
state uh, scholarship winner almost always wins a national scholarship, which is also another three thousand dollars. Wow! Wow! So the student, uh, it, we hope, is being helped along the way as as they go through their college career. Absolutely, and you know. How can people kind of apply for those scholarships? Is it something that you typically will see they they submit through their um, administration in the school, or is it something that is you know can they go to your website? How, how do how do people uh, apply for that? There is information on the website, but we also work with the colleges, uh, universities through their financial department, and get the information to them in the fall of each year because then we need to make the decision of the uh, winning recipient in February, March area. Okay. So we do work with the universities and the colleges, but they can go to our website. Okay. And what is that website? That is www.maingardenclubs.org. Awesome. Um, and kind of let's wrap up here on one one other topic I guess I wanted. What are, what is the Garden Club Federation of Maine doing to reach out there and attract more members? Well, it's a tough we, question. Um, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, individually, one on one, I think is one of the best ways to get new members to join a garden club. Mm-hmm. To talk to people individually to say this is what our garden club does in the community, and. You could be involved in digging the, in the dirt, or you could work in our garden therapy program. You could work with youth. There's a, a multitude of opportunities. And so we need to communicate better with people what the Garden Club offers. It's, it has changed over the years. It's not what my grandmother's Garden Club was. Absolutely. It's different. And we also then try to uh, promote through our publicity, through newspaper articles, and as to what we're, what we're doing, what we're offering. We've, um, after a couple of years of being away, we've gone back and we're an exhibitor at the Portland Flower Show. Mm-hmm. And we hope that that will reach out to people to let them know uh, what we do. And you have heard word that that building has been sold. It has. Uh, I did not hear it that. It has. Uh-oh. Um, so there will be some changes there. As of right now, it is kind of status quo for the next couple of years as the okay. Sprague's continue to build their new uh, buildings down on the other end of Commercial Street. But that has changed. Uh, I, I just got word and had a nice email from uh, Joanna Sprague uh, that the flower show will continue, the boat show will continue for the unforeseeable future, but there will be some changes coming there, I'm sure. Okay. Well, that's great to know. I know I know that they were trying to sell it, and we had asked if that would change things, and they said not right away, but there right. would be some changes. So, Well, you know, change sometimes is good, and <laughs> it sounds to me like the Garden Federation Club of Maine uh, is really doing a great job of you know, changing with the times. Uh, you know, I like the idea of the night meetings. I think that will help open it up. If there's any way that Estabrooks or any of the independent garden centers in Maine can help get that word out, we would surely like to help. Thank you. I really appreciate that, and uh, that's that's a possible 
resource that we will um, ask. Absolutely. We would love to work with uh, the garden clubs to help promote um, anything to do with promoting the industry and and being able to, uh, you know, grow uh, the knowledge of gardeners always benefits us as garden center owners and or the industry. Um, The more education everyone has, the better we all do. And, uh, you know, creates just a a kind of community in the garden industry and or in the garden uh, clubs and owners uh, to really have that sense of community and I think we've missed that you know connection uh, for quite some time and getting out there and talking to some of these garden clubs they're all our customers it's really uh, great to kind of go in and speak to uh, some of these wonderful groups of people well, thank you. Glad to hear that. Well, Kathleen, I, I, I absolutely want to thank you for being on. This has been a wonderful interview, and, and I'd love to have you back uh, at some point. Thank you. I would love to uh, do another interview absolutely. and uh, keep you up to date on some new things that may be happening with the Federation. And I would like to say that anyone who would like more information, they can go to our website and uh, put in their request if they have a question or comments, and that will get to me as president of the Federation. Absolutely. Kathleen Marty, president of Garden Federation of Maine. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Tom. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. You may not know it, but most lawn fertilizers actually spread chemicals and pesticides across your entire lawn. Until now, that's been the history of lawn care products. It's also why Espoma has developed an affordable, all-natural lawn program that is safe for kids and pets. The program consists of four organic fertilizers that are specifically formulated to keep your lawn green. Each product lasts two and a half times longer than traditional chemical products, and they won't burn your lawn or leach away. You already know Espoma as a name you can trust. They've been making organic plant foods like Hollytone and Planttone for over 84 years. Imagine a great-looking lawn that you're not afraid to walk barefoot on. It's a whole new day in lawn care. Look for Espoma organic lawn food products wherever quality lawn and garden products are sold. And visit Espoma.com videos to learn more about organic lawn care. Espoma, a natural in the garden since 1929. At Costa Maine Organic Products, we've known for a long time that plants love lobster just as much as people do. It's one of the reasons we started composting marine residuals back in 1996. And although we've had great success in getting gardeners and their plants hooked on lobster throughout New England, the Mid-Atlantic, and Midwest, the heart and soul of what we do is here in Maine. Plants love lobster because the calcium and chitin in the lobster shells break down in the composting process and become plant-ready food that help to make your plants strong and healthy. And of course, the plants don't use any butter, so they're even healthier. So support your local retailer and Maine's lobster industry by using Coast of Maine's Quaddy Lobster Compost in your garden. Coast of Maine, a lobster compost company. Approved for organic growers by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. Visit us at www.coastofmaine.com. Welcome back to the Joy of Gardening by Estbrooks. I'm Tom Estbrook. 
Just finished up talking with Kathleen Marty, president of the Garden Club Federation of Maine. Great interview there. Uh, you know, I can't stress enough these groups and getting involved. And I know our lives are all very, very busy. And, you know, but as you have time, and I think that's the key that I took away from a lot of what we just talked about with Kathleen. We all have time at a certain point to give back. And, you know, I've worked a lot over the years with the community gardens and uh, worked with toxic garden clubs. And all I can say is it's great people involved there. And if you have the opportunity to spend some time with some of these folks, and there are many levels of activity within these groups. Sometimes it's just you just go to a few of the talks. Sometimes you're very active in community projects. Maybe there's a area in your town you want to get involved and be kind of take on that you're going to help decorate. Uh, you know, like Kathleen was talking about, a memorial garden or a library or, you know. And I think there are some communities that do a very good job of being very interactive and making their community a better place and and being able to give back and really, really adding a lot back into the community. So if you have an opportunity to join a, a garden club, it tends to be an older group. But I have seen over the last, say, five years, when I go to garden club talks, there is an element of a young crowd joining and starting to learn. And if you really, your passion, or you want to get into gardening with perennials or cut flowers or, you know, planting in your yard, that may be a better choice than a community garden because they really do focus on plants. Um, They are becoming more active, it sounds like, in the schools with youth groups and whatnot. And everybody who gets involved with kids, it just brings that next generation along. We're all going to be a little more self-sufficient. We'll have the tools in order to, you know, do what we need to do for the future. So, Kathleen, I'd like to say thank you. Absolutely wonderful group of people. And like I said, if you are a college student or someone who needs help with school, you may consider contacting the Garden Club Federation of Maine. Great scholarships there. It's probably one of those areas that not a lot of people apply for. So um, I know I was very fortunate, as I've said in the show today, they were instrumental in helping me uh, move forward in my education uh and I can't say thank you enough. And giving back to that, the Yarmouth Garden Club has always been something that uh, they're a good group of people. I love talking with them. I've talked to many garden clubs across the state. And, uh, you know, talking with Kathleen, I'm sure I'll be able to do something for um, the larger association here in the near future also. So great group. Look up their website. Check them out uh, if you have time maybe give them uh, a shot at uh, joining a local club in your town or just checking out a nice talk that they have. Uh, Great speakers uh, in in an area. Cut flowers are something they're really good at too. And that's not an area of strong point for me. So if you're interested in growing your own flowers and using them around your home uh, or giving them to a neighbor, you know, making that bouquet, they have excellent people involved there. So garden clubs, check them out. 
But let's talk a little bit more about the garden. Out there in the garden, what's going on? So we've been talking a little bit about crabgrass over the last couple weeks and how aggressive it is. And I just want to tell you, if you haven't done anything at this point, and talking with Kathleen Marty uh, on the phone, she said the weeds are winning at her house. And uh, I want to let you know they are kind of at my house too. Um, I still have not got to everything I'd like to, but diligence will win the race here. Uh, You know, just keep after it. Um, that crabgrass, uh, we've had many customers coming in in the last week after talking about uh, crabgrass and the problems that are going on there, um, coming in, asking questions. You know, if you have problems in your garden with weeds right now, now's the time to try to clean them up um, sooner than later. I have started to notice the seed tassel starting to show up on the crabgrass and, and some of the other grasses, and those seeds are being spread everywhere for next year right now. So become proactive, get out there and cultivate your gardens, uh, you know, really be proactive with the weeds. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to use any sprays or anything like that. If you need to, we have the tools available. We can talk you through the process of that. But getting out there and doing that backbreaking work is tough, tough, tough work. But do a little bit every single night. You know, be proactive with it, and you'll you'll kind of find you'll start to get ahead of things. And be proactive when the weeds are small. Don't wait until they get large before you pull them. So become very, very progressive with your weeds. Now, we're approaching that time, that time where we want to start thinking about dividing. So have you done some root pruning on the plants that you want to divide this fall or move? Uh, now's the time I would recommend that. Um, We've had good moisture. Uh, Things are kind of, you know, starting to slow down with the cooler temperatures. They're not growing as much. Get in there and do some root pruning on the perennials. Do some root pruning on your trees and shrubs that you want to move because we're approaching that time frame. You know, we're a couple weeks, within a couple weeks, we'll be starting to think about moving and dividing plants. If you've already started, just be very cautious about the watering you want to do every week. And be very, very diligent about that. You know, we talked a lot with Tim Lindsay in the first hour about stress on plants. And every time we move them, it is one that you want to be very, very cautious about your water because we are stressing them by moving them now perennials and stuff like that not so you know important because we're cutting the plant back we're dividing it we're moving it we're keeping it moist but on your trees and shrubs that larger disease and insects will attack be very cautious about that we are seeing some powdery mildew problems out there in the garden on flocks and and uh, monarda at this point Uh, if it's really bad and they aren't looking that great Now's the time to think about just pruning them right back to the ground, taking that infestation and getting it right out of the garden so it doesn't spread to a bunch of other things. Um, You know, it's time to start taking away the dead material in your garden. You probably around your daylilies are seeing a lot of yellowing and browning leaves. Get in there, just clean up some of that mess, Uh, get that out of the garden. Uh, Any of the dying and decaying material is where a lot of your diseases and insects are going to you know, thrive and hide for the following season. So now's the time to start just cleaning some of those dead leaves and and uh, material that's in there and any diseases that are kind of showing up. You know, perennials at this point, a lot of things can be cut back. So a lot of those things that are past bloom, don't look good, that are yellowing, go ahead and think about just taking them right back to the ground. 
If they grow back a little bit, that's fine. It's not a problem. Then you may create space where you might be able to put a garden mum or another annual or something to kind of liven up your garden. Um, some of the annual ornamental grasses are a nice accent in the, in the late summer and fall. We've got some beautiful annual gr- grasses. Now, the nice part about them is they're going to die in the fall. So if you have an established perennial bed and you want to add some fall interest, adding in some annual grasses is a great way because you can cut back the perennials. It gives you enough room for a nice plant that's going to give you a fall feel, but you're going to be able to take it out and have the space for the perennials the following year. It's also time to start thinking about bulbs. I know, fall is here. I'm thinking about what I'm going to plant for bulbs already. And so I'm really planning. I'm not purchasing yet. I'm not really, you know, planting yet. But what I'm doing is what are those areas that back in the spring I said, yeah, I could have used a little bit more over here. I could have used a little bit more over there. Hopefully you followed my advice and marked some of those patches of bulbs this spring. And you can still find those little sticks in the ground. I'm never good about marking mine. But I plant my bulbs in fairly large clusters. So they're in very distinct areas. I tend to use many, many things that are going to come back year after year after year. I use a lot of daffodils. I use a lot of hyacinths, crocus. I don't use a lot of tulips because I find them to be much more... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Work. (laughs) And I'm an easy gardener. I like things to come back. I like things to look good. And tulips are a lot of work for me. The other reason is I have a tremendous deer population where I am. And they're like candy from the deer in my yard. And the last thing I want is to bring them in, and it's frustrating, and I'm sure a lot of you have the same problems. You look over here, and then all of a sudden the tulips are looking just perfect. Then bam, overnight, there's no buds left on them. Half the foliage is gone, and it looks like a long-legged woodchuck came through and buzzed them all off. And if you haven't heard me reference a a long-legged woodchuck, that is my description of a deer. Because they basically come back and eat everything until it's gone. And, you know, they're a lovely animal. I I, I love watching the, the doe and fawns that I have out in the yard this year. And... But they can be destructive on tulips and, you know, put them close to the house if you want to use them. But it's time to start thinking about it. And I'm just saying thinking. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from the Joy of Gardening on News Talk WLOB. Regular old mulch leaving your plants wanting more? Casella Organics Nutri-Mulch is a superior mulch for improving any landscape. Made in Maine from aged native bark and earthlife compost, its dark color and rich texture are ideal for perennials, ornamentals, trees, and shrubs. Earthlife Nutri-Mulch is nutrient-stabilized with compost, so the bark doesn't compete with plants for nutrients. Visit CaselaOrganics.com or call 800-4-COMPOST for a source near you. 
Summer sales at garden centers are a dime a dozen. But what are you really getting? Scrawny plants that nobody wanted in the first place won't help your garden. August Bargain Days at Estabrooks features big, beautiful, and healthy plants that have been cared for and, in many cases, grown by the talented staff, all at a fraction of the price. All plants are now 20 to 75% off at Estabrooks in Yarmouth, Scarborough, and Kennebunk. See the difference and save big today. To learn more, visit estabrooksonline.com. Estabrooks for the joy of gardening. Whether you're visiting for the summer or enjoying a vacation at home, the last thing you want to do is waste precious time, especially in the garden. Esther Brooks in Yarmouth, Scarborough, and Kennebunk makes decorating your home with beautiful plants quick and easy. They've got a great selection and great people here. I can always find what I need. It's just a wonderful place to shop. It's right down the road for me, too, so that makes it convenient. To learn more, visit EstherBrooksOnline.com. Esther Brooks for the joy of gardening. back to the joy of gardening by Estabrooks. I'm Tom Estabrook. Been an absolutely fabulous show today. Um, you haven't heard any callers today and it's because we taped today. Uh, periodically I'm going to be taping some shows and part of the reason is I need time off and so I'm going to be taking some time off. I'm going to be heading out to Long Island, New York uh, for a nice wedding with my wife and and uh, you know enjoy some family time and uh and we're going to celebrate our first anniversary. So it's going to be a really, really fun time. We're going to spend a nice night in New York City and kind of, you know, enjoy the city. Uh, we love living here in Maine, and it's absolutely uh, a great, great place. Uh, and Sue, my wife, is from New York, and uh, she loves going home. And we always have a great time with family there. And it's going to be nice to see everyone, and we'll get a nice getaway uh, for our anniversary in New York City. So I want to thank uh, Christine, uh, Sue's sister, for giving us a beautiful gift uh, and stay in, in New York City. So we're going to enjoy that. Um, but back to the garden. So I've been talking a little bit about fall, and it's kind of because I'm, I'm kind of getting into that fall mode. The majority of the planting season is over, though I find fall is the best time to plant. It's not the most convenient due to the fact you can't get everything you want. And so last week I kind of prompted everyone a little bit to start getting in touch with their contractors and I did a little bit that, you know, early in in this show also. I talked a little bit about, you know, touching base with your garden centers on specific things you want. I will be ordering this coming week. Uh, I'm visiting two nurseries in Connecticut. Uh, on my way back from New York. So I always work in somehow when I take vacation work. I'm kind of just a workaholic, I guess. But we'll be stalking, stopping at Pride's Corner Farm in Connecticut and also Imperial Nurseries in Connecticut. They're two of our major suppliers. We'll be looking at plants and looking at what really looks wonderful, not only for purchasing this fall, but also I'm starting to look at what I can buy for next spring that's new and different and interesting and fun to keep that passion alive for not only myself, but also for all of you out there. The new plants are exciting. Don't always have the best information, but seeing them grown and seeing these blocks of plants and understanding how they work really, really, really is important to me. So... 
I always spend a fair amount of time in the summer and fall, and I try to travel and visit nurseries. Last year, we visited some nurseries out on Long Island and uh, really did a a bunch of work for some of our larger material, bald and burlap material. And, you know, so I try to visit a few new nurseries. And But going back to the tried-and-true customers and nurseries that we have and talking with them about what's new and also giving them feedback about new plants and how they're doing and what they're not doing. And one thing I wanted to kind of bring up is it's important for your failures for us to know about that. If you are not having good success with certain plants, tell us because we're giving that feedback to our growers we buy from. And part of the reason why I visit some of these nurseries is to have candid conversations with them about plants that don't seem to be doing terribly well and talking to them about why I'm not carrying certain things and, you know, having that open conversation and dialogue. So we love feedback on the plants that you put in the ground. Now, one series of plants that, you know, we're going to be talking to them about some of the echinaceas because not all echinaceas are are overwintering well here in Maine. And, you know, we've gotten some good feedback from folks about this. And I wanted to pass this along because I think it's it's something that we don't always think about. You come into the garden center and you buy all these beautiful plants and they're in full bloom. Well, what we've found out about echinacea is that they are a plant that loves to expend a lot of energy and put a lot of energy into their flowers. So obviously we're growing them to flowers because we want to show you what these plants look like. And there's nothing better than seeing it. You can't look at a picture, you can't look at a photo and see the true vivid colors and what things look like. Echinacea is one that I want to recommend that you take most of the flowers off the first two years. Now that doesn't mean you can't let them flower. What it means is you don't let them go to seed. Okay? So with that being said, Go out today and take off the flowers and the seed pods on your echinacea if it is some of the newer varieties. They have been bred to bloom the first year. Now, in this breeding of new echinacea, what we found is because they've been bred, so they grow these plants from a cutting or from seed, and the first year they bloom. The old-fashioned varieties we're used to, they don't do that. They have a year where they don't flower. And so what that does is it builds the rootstock, it builds the underneath growth before we get to that point. Now, these newer varieties, they've been grown and have been produced so that the producers can grow them within one year and get them to market. Great, great situation for us as growers because otherwise you'd see echinacea prices through the roof because that two-year cycle is really hard. But what we're seeing now is these new varieties, we need to take the flowers off. So my recommendation is take those flower stems off, use them in a bouquet in the, in the, in the home. And what that will do is that will enable you to build enough root system. Now, now is the point when I want you to be proactive with this. And the reason being is we have six or eight weeks to build root system. I also want you to put some biotone or rock phosphate around those plants. And that's going to up our phosphorus and mycorrhizae, and it's going to build more root system. 
okay? So what that's going to do is help you with overwintering. And what happens with echinacea, if they expend all of that energy to flowering and they don't build enough root system, what happens? They fail here in our lovely Maine soils, our lovely Maine conditions. And let's face it, these new varieties are expensive. These plants are expensive, and it's very frustrating every spring to have customers come in and not doing well with these. And they get frustrated, and they don't rebuy them. And But there are such fabulous colors and varieties. But this is the trick. The first year, you're going to come in, and you're going to buy them, and they're going to be in bloom. And now we have learned enough that we're going to start recommending you take those flowers off. Okay? You're going to start taking them off. You're going to take them off. You're going to take them off. And then after a two- to three-year period, you're going to have a plant that's going to be well-established, and you're going to have something that's going to be around for a long, long, long time. I'd like to thank this week Kathleen Marty for joining us and also Tim Lindsay. I like doing these tape shows periodically because we can have some guests and have some candid conversations with people, and it really, really gives us an opportunity to kind of help build some knowledge about our industry and also the people that are within it. And garden clubs, again, are near and dear to my heart. They've been very generous to me over the years, uh, helped support our garden center, um, given a great scholarship. Um, And then Tim... Tim just always is a guy that is really going to have a lot of knowledge. Their lab down south really, really helps us out. I hope you get out there. Enjoy your garden. This weather is amazing. I'm going to go on vacation. I'll see you next Saturday. Enjoy your garden and have fun. Music.